Hello, my friends. This is Pastor Christopher Alam uh, at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I trust you are doing well and are blessed in all things. This is the third lesson in our subject called the Blood Covenant. So today we're going to talk about the covenant itself. The first two lessons we talked about the importance of blood in the Bible, and uh, that uh, uh, you know, yesterday we talked about there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood, and how, how important it is for us to understand that. Now, today we're going to talk about the covenant itself. Now, to give you an introduction, the first thing is that a covenant is actually a Middle Eastern concept. Uh, and that's why it's important that we, I try to explain it from that context. Because you see, to fully understand the covenant, the principle of the covenant, you have to realize that the Bible is a Middle Eastern book written into a Middle Eastern culture. Now that doesn't mean you have to fully understand Middle Eastern culture in order to be saved or to walk with Jesus. You don't. But there are certain things that are key things that uh, it will, you know, you have to understand to fully understand certain concepts in, in the Bible. So there are certain concepts to understand that uh, you, you have to understand the Middle Eastern mindset. Uh, and one of the things is that you see, uh, West in Western culture, the Western Western um, uh, mindset is very transactional. Uh, the Middle Eastern mindset is relational. So faith in in the Western mind it is uh, transactional, very much transactional for most people. It is because it's built on certain principles, and we read the Bible and we glean certain principles. And then we say, well, the Bible says you do this, God will do that. So that's what I mean, transactional. There are certain things God has said, you do this, and, and, and if I do that, God will do this. But in the Middle Eastern mindset, faith is more relational than transactional. And uh, the actions of faith are a result of that relationship. If you understand, it's not based on you do this and God will do this, but it's based on on, 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 on your total surrender of your life to Jesus. And, and then faith is based on that. So, there, you know, there, there's many such things that it, it, it helps to uh, understand certain concepts in the Bible because uh, Jesus was born into a Middle Eastern culture, although he's the savior of the whole world, but that was the culture he grew up in. And so you're talking about things in the Bible, like the washing of feet and the breaking of bread. What does those things mean to us? What those things mean in the American context, the washing of feet, breaking of bread. Now to understand those things, you have to understand the Middle Eastern culture. So I'm, I'm going to touch some of those things, not all, uh, but that's the culture I grew up in. And that's what the Bible, you know, it helps us to understand certain key things in the Bible. So what I would like you to do, I would like to you to try, as you listen to what I'm saying, to try to put yourself into the Middle Eastern mind, into that context and try to understand. Because if you really, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you don't, you know, sometimes when I talk about the blood uh, and, and I tell you, you know, and people say, ah, how gross these Arabs are, they're so terrible, I'm glad, well, we Europeans and Americans are so civilized. Well, you miss the whole point. Because if you get grossed out by things that are precious and holy, 
It, I mean, like yesterday, I talked about the shedding of blood and some of you, I can see some of you cringing and you get grossed out because you've never seen an animal being slaughtered. Some of you have never seen a live, an live animal except in a petting zoo and you only see animals wrapped in, in, in cellophane, you know, in, in, in the supermarket. So, but uh, I want you to understand, don't, don't be demeaning of other cultures and say they're gross just because your American culture is is so lofty and high and that's the ultimate. No, it's not true because you are missing out a lot of things. There is no culture that is superior to another because every culture has its good things and its negative things. Every culture is like that. So, but but you got to uh, you, you got to take it as it is. So that's why I'm asking you. I'm asking you. Don't stand on the sidelines and judge everything I say because, oh, that doesn't make sense to us Americans. Don't. No, no. Don't think that way. Think. I'm a Christian. I'm a student of the Word of God. I'm, I'm, and I'm trying to put my mind into this mindset so I can understand what the Bible teaches. Now, if you do that, you really, really learn some things. And, and, and that's what I've had to do all my life. I grew up in a certain culture, but that's not my culture anymore. It's the culture of the cross. And to understand certain concepts of the culture of the cross, I have to put myself into the culture in which Jesus and the apostle walked uh, because then it helps me. Okay. So now uh, <laughs> that being said, uh, let's look at covenant. Now the word, the Hebrew word covenant uh, I mean, the Hebrew word that is translated as covenant into English. So in English, we use the word covenant, but the Hebrew word, which is actually uh, translated as covenant, is the Hebrew word berit, berit. Uh, and in Swedish in, uh, and in, uh, in Norwegian, actually berit is a girl's name which means covenant. So it takes the name direct from Hebrew. You don't hear women called Berit in, in North America or, you know, in, uh, in England and those places, but it is actually a Hebrew word and it means covenant. But the word Berit, actually it means, uh, this is what the word that is translated as covenant means. It's the word Berit, which means to make a cut or an incision that results in the flow of blood. So if I took a little knife or a razor blade and cut my finger and you see some drops of blood, that incision is called a berit. So berit or berit. So berit means to make a cut so that, uh, uh, so that blood flows. And incidentally, that word berit is translated as covenant. Now, so in the Bible, Covenants were not made, but they were cut. They cut covenants. You didn't say, I'll make a covenant with you. It means I will cut a covenant with you. And the word cut was the word karat. Karat means the actual act of cutting. So berit is an incision made so that the blood flows. But karat is the actual act of making that incision, if you understand what I mean. So wherever the Bible says they made a covenant, in Hebrew it is karat berit. That means to cut a covenant. That's what it means. So I want you to understand that. So it was not we made a covenant. That means we made an agreement or a contract and we signed a paper. No, 
We cut a covenant. We cut. We made an incision that resulted in the flow of blood. So that's what it means to cut a covenant. Karat berit. The berit is an incision which results in the flow of blood. And karat is the actual act of making that incision. So karat berit. That was how a covenant was cut. They didn't make covenants, but they cut covenants. So even in our modern day, a Jewish circumcision is called a berit. So when they, you know, because the circumcision is cut, they cut the foreskin off. So that is also called a berit, a modern day Jewish circumcision. So a covenant therefore means to make an incision resulting in the flow of blood. Now, what is a covenant? A covenant is more than a mere agreement or contract. It is a relationship. A covenant is a relationship. In fact, a covenant is the strongest relationship or bond that can exist between two individuals or between two groups of people. A covenant is the strongest relationship or bond that can exist between two uh, <coughs> individuals or groups. Now, I will explain more to you, but I'm taking this step by step. So please stay with me and listen to me. Why people cut covenants? Because in the Bible, people cut covenants. Now, but you see, you understand that a covenant isn't just a biblical concept. Covenant is a Middle Eastern concept. And it is found in the Bible because the Semitic people, the Jews and the Arabs, they're all Semitic people. So uh, the Semitic people have a, a cut covenants and the Arabs did it, in fact, more than the Jews. But it is found among the Semitic people. But you find it in primitive tribes all over the world. Wherever you go in the world, they have some form of covenant. There's different derivatives, different ways and means. In fact, when I grew up, we practiced the covenant. And I'm, and I'm going to come to you. This is actually exciting because when I began to read this in the Bible, for me, it was like, wow, we did this as kids and this is what we saw. So I'm explaining to you. But here's, let's take it systematically. Why people cut covenants? First reason was out of pure love. When two men were such close friends that they decided to become blood brothers, they would cut a covenant, then they would be blood brothers. They would be more than friends. And the best biblical example, biblical example we have is David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan. And they were, you know, and we, we will talk more about that later in a couple of days or so. But David and Jonathan, that's a typical example of two men who were close as brothers, closer than brothers. The Bible says David loved Jonathan as his own soul. I mean, they, they were friends like that. And so uh, what happened is that uh, they, you know, and they sealed their friendship by cutting a covenant. And we'll read about that later on. The second reason uh, people would cut covenants was for protection. Sometimes a weaker tribe that was attacked by other tribes because they were weak, they would cut covenant with stronger tribes. Because when they cut a covenant with the stronger tribes, it afforded them protection. Nobody would attack them because now they're in covenant with a stronger tribe. So anyone who attacks them, it's counted as an attack on the stronger tribe also. 
So uh, if you attack me, well, you're taking on my covenant brothers also. So it afforded them protection from being attacked by other tribes because uh, smaller tribes would cut covenants with bigger tribes. It would give them protection. The third reason covenants were cut was to end warfare and strife. For example, if there were two tribes, they were constantly at war and people were dying and then they would, they would be fighting. What they would do? They would cut a covenant. Now they cut a covenant, they're brothers, they're blood brothers. And that would set a stop to all strife. There would be no more killing, no more war because now they're blood brothers. So that's how strong a covenant was. Another reason was business dealing. So if two men would go into business, they would do something together. They would cut a covenant. And that protected them both from being cheated by the others because you never cheated a covenant brother. So, you know, they were, and there were other reasons also, but these were the four more reasons. Now, how, I'm sorry, how covenants were cut. This was the process. Firstly, both parties would come together. Okay. The two individuals or the two groups who were cutting the covenant, they would come together and often, in the presence of witnesses. It was not necessary, but often they would come in the presence of witnesses. That was the first thing. Second thing, what they would do, the two, say, let's, so simplicity's sake, it will be two guys, friends who are cutting a covenant. They would exchange their mantles. So I'm, a cut, I'm cutting a covenant with you. I take my coat or my cloak or mantle, give it to you, and you give yours to mine. That means, that I'm giving myself and my possessions to you. That means that everything I own, the mantle and the coat or the coat or the outer garment would represent uh, myself and what I have. So I'm giving myself to you. And by giving your mantle to me, you're giving yourself to me. I'm giving myself and my possessions to you. And that means that you, and that also means, you know, in reverse, you are giving yourself and your possessions to me. That means everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. The third thing was that they would exchange weapons. That means they would exchange their swords. I give my sword to you. You give your sword to me. That means I give my strength and my protection to you. And you give your strength and your protection to me. That means that your enemies are my enemies and my enemies are your enemies. If anyone attacks you, I will run to defend and fight alongside you. If anyone attacks me, you will run to my side to defend me. I mean, these are, these are, these are things they actually did. It actually meant those things. Now, then came the number four thing. The number four was the actual incision, the cutting. So they would make the cut. And, uh, and so what happened, that's a cutting of blood and mixing of blood. Now, this was done in different ways. Uh, firstly, the most usual way was they would make a little incision here, okay? On the wrist, little incision here or in the palm, but more often in the wrist. So the two parties who would come and they would make the incisions and, and they would hold their wounds together like this. And incidentally, this is where you get the modern handshake because previously they used to do like this and then they end up doing like, but the modern handshake comes from this. So the two people 
they, their incision, they will make incisions with a little bit of blood flowing and they will join them together. And that would, what that would signify is that when your blood mixes with my blood, what happens is that figuratively, it's figuratively, my blood goes to your veins and your blood goes to my vein. And because life is in the blood, it means my life is in you, your life is in me. And now we are blood brothers because we share the same blood. We share the same life. That's what it means. Another, so cutting our wrist on our, our palms and rubbing them together. Then, or the other way they used to do it. Now the Jews, of course, the Hebrews didn't do it, but the Arabs, Arabs used to do it. That means that they used to let their blood, the two people used to let their blood drop into a cup or a goblet and they would drink it, share it, drink you know the blood that's mixed together either straight up or they drink it mixed with wine and that was one way they would share blood that they would share life and of course the jews would not do that because drinking blood was forbidden to them or the other way they used to do it they used to substitute uh, an animal animal an animal used to be substituted for both these individuals, but usually it was the individual themselves cutting, but sometimes, especially in the case of tribes, where there were two tribes coming together and they used to have an animal from each tribe or a representative of each tribe doing the cutting and the incision and the mixing of bloods, but sometimes it could be animal. Okay. After that, if it was a race, what they would do, they would take some something that would cause a permanent scar on the wound. That was a covenant mark. So every time the person looked at that mark, it reminded him of his covenant brother and the covenant that he had made. So there was always uh, something that would leave a permanent scar or a mark that reminded him of the covenant, some kind of chemical or dye, I don't know what. Now, now they have gone through this ceremony. So the two lives, have now become one. That means you and I are in covenant with one another. Your blood is in my vein. My blood is in your, your, your vein. So we are now blood brothers. We share the same life. So uh, because of that, everything I am and all that I have is yours, everything you are and what you have is mine. And so if I ever deny you, I'm denying my own blood. I'm denying my own life. And that was unthinkable. So the question of breaking covenant didn't even exist, but we'll go to that. The next thing that would happen, they would often, not always, but often change names. So when Abraham entered into a covenant with God, he, his name was Abram, but God gave him a new covenant name that was Abraham. Abraham was his covenant name from Abram. And God, he also revealed himself to Abraham with a covenant name and that was Yahweh. When we say Yahweh or Jehovah, that's actually God's covenant name because he was not known by that name before he made that covenant with Abraham. That was his covenant name. Then blessings and curses would be spoken. Blessings of the covenant and the curses that would be incurred if the covenant was broken, those curses would be spoken. Now I'm taking from <coughs> different ways it was done and putting it all together, okay? Uh, uh, and then 
They were setting up of a memorial, a pillar or digging of a well or a planting of a tree, which was a memorial for the covenant. So they would do that. And then the last thing, they would have a covenant meal. They would break bread and drink wine. Okay. Now, once with all these things done, a covenant was cut and it was irreversible, unbreakable, and it went on for generations. So if you and I were in covenant today, tomorrow I was mad at you. I couldn't just walk away from the covenant. I couldn't, I couldn't break the covenant. I couldn't say, no, you know what? That was a mistake we made. I'm sorry. Let's forget this covenant. You couldn't do that. Once it's done, because blood is involved, life is involved. If I walk away from you, my life is still in you. Your life is still in me. We are still brother, brothers. Nothing can change that. That's how sacred a blood covenant was. And we are talking about blood covenant between men, between two people. So it was irreversible, unbreakable, and it went for generations. That means that after you and I die, our children are in covenant. After they die, their children are in covenant. Now, I don't know how many generations it was good for, but I do know that it went for generations. Okay. So <clears throat> one, one example we see in the New Testament, where it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, it says, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. When we are in covenant with Jesus, we are one spirit one life with Jesus. Hallelujah. We are not separate from him. That's why it says we are in Christ because we are one life with Jesus. Okay. So now what would happen to a covenant breaker? What would happen? The consequences? Well, a covenant breaker would be ostracized, sometimes even killed by his own family, because that was the worst thing a person could do is to break the covenant or he would be cut off from society and often hunted down and killed. Now, <coughs> there were many derivatives of the blood covenant. There's many different kinds of covenant that all come from the blood covenant and uh, some of these that I grew up with. For example, this is interesting. There's a milk covenant, right? I grew up with it and uh, uh, milk covenant is, for example, if two women are friends, like there's two couples and they're close friends and then uh, one of the women has a baby and but she has no milk to give her baby and sometimes it happens she, mothers give birth but they don't have milk for whatever reason and so her friend the other man's wife uh, he offers to nurse uh, she offers to nurse this baby so what happens is that so this woman uh, gives her milk to her uh, friend's baby so now that woman who gives her milk to this baby, if she has children of her own. So this child who drinks that woman's milk is now a milk sibling with this woman's children. It's, it's interesting. They are like siblings because they have drunk the milk of the same woman. So uh, uh, I, I remember I had a friend, uh, first time I ever heard of it, I had a friend and uh, he said that, you know, you see that girl there? I said, yeah, he says, she's my milk sister. And I said, what's that? I didn't know about this. He said, well, uh, when I was a baby, my mother couldn't give me, uh, she had no milk to give me. So that lady, uh, she just had that girl. And so, uh, so she's my milk sister. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, a milk sister is like a real sister. That means that we can never marry because she's my sister. And uh, I have the same obligations towards her as to my real sister. So if she has a need 
as a brother. I have to jump up there to help her because I'm her brother and I am as much a brother to her as her real blood brothers and she's as much a sister to me as my real sibling. So you can imagine just because two children drunk the milk of the same mother, they're, milk, they're in a milk covenant. So covenant is very strong. I mean, that's practiced in the Middle East. Now, the American mind won't understand this. But then I saw people who had the milk covenant and uh, that's a very strong bond. So between two children who drunk the milk of the same mother, there's a very, very strong bond, which is like they're like brothers and sister and they will give their lives for one another because they are milk siblings, milk covenant, you know, between them. Now, the other is the salt covenant. I remember the salt covenant. Say, for example, if, if a guy employs somebody to work in his company, okay, so they would have that little ceremony in which they would have a saucer or a plate with salt and bread on it. So what would happen is that uh, the employer and the employee, they would take the bread and some salt and they would eat together. They would break bread and eat the salt together. So that means a salt represents the sweat of your labor because sweat is salty. So that means that the employee, he would never, never cheat his employer because he's in a salt covenant with him. And so, and so I remember hearing this, if a, an employer ever got angry at an employee and said, you have cheated me or stolen money, the poor guy, he would say, sir, how can you say that I have eaten your salt? I've eaten bread and salt with you. That's a salt covenant. And you have to honor that salt covenant. No, not all employees made a salt covenant. But when you did that, so it's it's something very precious and, and honored and holy. So, so in the Middle East, in the Middle Eastern culture, breaking bread is, is covenant. You know, so you even if you even sit down with someone with a meal, and, and you have the bread and you break the bread. The moment you break the bread and you share that same bread, you are sharing covenant. Because remember what Jesus did that he broke the bread, right? He broke that same bread and he, he says he took a piece and gave it to each one of the disciples. He says, take, eat. This is my body. And so uh, breaking bread with people is considered very, very, it's a very sacred thing. And, and the Bible even tells us there's certain people you don't eat with. Now, the American culture wouldn't understand that, but you're in the, if you're in the Middle Eastern cultural mindset, and now, of course, not all Arabs practice this today because many Arabs have walked away. But they, if you go to the Bedouins, the desert people, which my family is there, they're, they're, you know, they're ancestral, you know, ancestry way back, many generations back. So you, you'll see that the Bedouin people who are my people, they, they kind of practice that. It says First Corinthians 5.11. He says, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such as one do not eat. Now, he's not talking about don't eat with sinners. What he's talking about is false brethren. If someone is an adulterer and a sinner and a fornication, he's not a fornicator. Sure, I'll eat with him. But. He's talking about people in the church, people who say they are brothers, but they are fornicators or they're covetous or they're idolaters 
or their railers or their drunkards and they cheat people, the extortion father. He said, with such people, don't even eat. That means that don't even break bread with such people. Don't because you are in covenant with them. And so I grew up with this, believe me. And this verse, even today, even today, when I see people who say they are Christians, but then to false teaching and they're greedy or, or, or they live in sin and they don't want to repent. I tell you what. I won't eat with them. Honestly, I still have a hard time. Well, that's just me because that's the culture I grew up in. Because I, because I, then I become a partaker in the evil deeds and I enter into covenant with them. You might laugh at it, but this is just me. Now, sometimes we'll say, oh, I want to eat and talk to you. I said, look, I'll have a cup of coffee with you, but I won't eat with you. And uh, nobody's ever asked me why, because then I'd have to, it'd be embarrassing. I'd have to tell them why. But I would drink a cup of coffee, I'll drink a cold drink with them, but I will not break bread with them. So uh, that's how the Bible looks at breaking bread, is covenant. So, uh, you know, the, so the covenant is very, very important. It has, it has to do with our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. And it's the deepest relationship that two people can ever have. It's the covenant, it's the blood covenant, because it has to do with life itself. And anyway, let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, help us understand um, the blood covenant and your covenant, mostly your covenant with us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we uh, go into this study, I ask you to open the eyes of our heart, open the eyes of our faith so that we may see the things you want us to uh, see. Father, help us. Most important that we can walk with you and walk in your love and uh, and in the experience of your love and walk in purity and holiness and bear much fruit for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you and I'll be seeing you again tomorrow.